Hello, this is the Psychedelic Theology Podcast, and I am Caleb Graves, your very sane, very normal host. This is the final part of a series about psychedelics, Christian theology, and death. In our first episode, we talked about how religion and psychedelics can help us build a relationship with death and our own mortality. In the second episode, we discussed how psychedelics can help us wrestle with the concepts of heaven, hell, and the afterlife. These third and fourth episodes were released as a two-parter together at the same time, so I suggest going back to the last episode to get caught up before listening to this one. Please consider subscribing to my Patreon to keep this ministry funded, and remember to follow me on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and TikTok. I've got my first Patreon-only episode coming out soon that begins to explore how the CIA, a J.P. Morgan vice president, and Christian missionaries inadvertently work together to popularize magic mushrooms and begin the psychedelic revolution. You won't want to miss it, and Psychedelic Theology Patreon only begins at $5 to join. So, picking up where we left in the last episode, there were two more theological interactions that I see among theosis, universal salvation, and the psychedelic experience. The theme that I want to pick up now is repentance. Now, especially if you were raised in an abusive or toxic Christian environment, repentance can have negative or harmful connotations, like beating yourself up or shaming yourself. But really, the word repentance just means to turn back. That's its literal meaning in the Greek. To leave the wrong path which leads us away from God, turning around and seeing God again face to face. In this way, theosis is directly linked to repentance and to being seen by God. In order for our divinization to take place, our deification to take place, we have to stand bare before God with every part of ourselves being perfected by the divine light. But, as mentioned before, this process can be a painful, purgative step for some. This is especially the case for those who are abusive, oppressive, or uncaring towards the poor and the marginalized. For those who have committed terrible acts against the most vulnerable, theosis can look very much like hell. This is because God's love and God's wrath are one and the same, like a consuming fire, capable of creating both life-giving heat, but also scorched earth destruction. In Psalm 9, I think there's a great example of this. The author is being hunted down by his enemies and asks for God's salvation, saying, Be gracious to me, O Lord. The elements of grace which the psalmist asks for are all positive things to someone who is suffering, who calls upon God's name to, quote, execute justice. But to the wicked, to the one who is afflicting the psalmist, this salvation is described in very different terms. God's grace and salvation to the oppressed is called a terror to the oppressor. What this psalm then shows us is that God's love and wrath are deeply intertwined together and feel different primarily based on context. 
We cannot have one without the other. To the victim, God's wrath against their victimizer feels like love. But to the victimizer, God's love to their victim is now terror and catastrophe. So ask yourself, be honest about some of your choices, about the life you live. Do you think when you are shown bare to God face to face that there will be any pain, anything you've done, harm you've caused others that you will not want to show? Maybe blowing up at a service worker, gossiping and spreading rumors that hurt a friend. Maybe road rage against an old woman when you're late for an appointment. Ignoring eye contact and not giving dignity and humanity to the panhandlers on our commute. Maybe we knowingly invested in high-yield portfolios that hurt your neighbor, colonized other nations, and polluted our planet. The problem, of course, is that everyone on Earth has some wickedness and some goodness inside them. Though clearly, there are some more on one end of the spectrum or the other. Some of the most evil serial killers in the world were really once abused children sobbing under their bed. And some of our heroes have clay feet or betray us with great evils of their own. While scripture is clear about how the oppressed and oppressor are treated differently by God, particularly in the matter of theosis then, this is not a binary. There is room for moral, oh so very human ambiguity. Luke Acts recognizes this, condemning the Romans on the one hand, but recognizing good Romans, like the righteous centurion. Elsewhere in the Gospels, we see the defiance of old, evil, anti-Semitic tropes that want to show the Pharisees as pure evil. For it was the Pharisees who warned Jesus of Herod's plot on his life, who met him in the evening to listen to the Gospel in John 3, who offered his tomb to hold Jesus' body, even the Apostle Paul had to contend with the horrific cause he had caused others before his conversion. No one is all good or all evil. There are things I've done which bring me great shame, particularly when I was a deeply misogynistic and racist kid in a fundamentalist church. It brings me so much shame that I really don't like to talk about it. But when I die, or maybe when I'm resurrected, I will have to face God, who is at once to me love and wrath. And if I turn to face him, repent and face him, God will see all of me for all that I am. Every little thought, every little deed, every little word, I will be seen for who I really am, good and bad. But if I willfully choose through faith to make this turn and trust that what's about to happen is for my good, I can accept the cleansing fire that God will send upon me, one of the first steps in theosis, in deification. Those who are unrepentant, who either are ashamed of what they've done and don't want anyone to see, want to maintain their facade, or don't think they've done anything wrong at all. Hide their faces from God, out of fear, and this only prolongs the suffering. The repentant face God and lay themselves down before her, 
naked and trusting in divine mercy that seeks to make us more like it. Like setting a bone when it's broken, or digging a thorn out of our flesh, or placing a joint back in its socket. If we fought the doctors while this work was being done, there would only be more pain, more damage. But if we accept it as a necessary step to heal our wounds and continue our journey of healing, the pain becomes a little more manageable. So too, when we repent and turn to God, we recognize that just wrath is necessary, it is loving, and it is a welcome step towards oneness with God. It is a healing pain. We do not have to hide our sin or be ashamed of it. We need to confess it. We can trust, let go, let go of the burden of shame and be free. Therapeutic psychedelic trips, surprisingly, can take a very similar form to theotic repentance that we just discussed. From 1961 to 1963, Harvard psychedelic researcher Timothy Leary and his associates gave psilocybin, the active ingredient in magic mushrooms, to 32 prisoners at Concord Prison to see if they could reduce parolees from reoffending. Some of these inmates were hardened criminals with a history of violence. Looking through a list of these inmates, I even found examples of sexual violence. One of these men, known as Andrew, had a long rap sheet and scored high on a scale of psychopathy. He had been arrested over 30 times and served 14 years in prison. But on his second psilocybin trip, something unexpected happened to Andrew. He broke. Speaking of his trip, Andrew touched on themes of cleansing pain, remorse, repentance, and open honesty that we had discussed before. Reading from his testimony, quote, At the time of the peak of the drug's effects, I had a terrible feeling of sadness, loneliness, a great feeling of remorse of the wasted years. It seemed to me that I was crying inside of me and a feeling as if tears were washing everything away. I was hollow inside, just an outer shell standing there watching time stand still. Before taking this drug, my thinking always seemed to travel in the same circles. Drinking, gambling, money, women, sex, as easy and I guess a fast life. Now my thoughts are troubled and at times quite confusing, but they are of an honest nature and of wondering. I know what I want to be, and I am sincere in my mind when I say, I will try very hard to make it so. I also know that this mushroom drug in group discussions and tests, the group therapy, is most important. Because there is then an opening of the mind, and you also get a better understanding of yourself and the people who are in your group. You feel free to say and discuss things which you generally do not do. By the time two years had passed, Andrew was out of prison and a successful small business owner. He did not reoffend. It seems that he had been seen, seen by his neighbor, seen by himself, and this changed him. 
In all he was, good and evil, therapists, group members, and himself saw who he was. By doing this kind of repentance, of turning and being seen, he was able to look at the goodness and virtue he wanted to become, and then become that. Is that not a form of the theosis we've been discussing? To discover something wondrous and good and virtuous, experience cleansing suffering when we see how little we match up to that goodness, and then seek to embody that goodness and virtue as a result of that pain, as a result of being seen for all that we are? Other prisoners in this experiment told similar stories. Growth through suffering through the beauty of psychedelic exploration, by which they were laid bare and seen for who they really were. Subject Mojo said, I felt a cloud of guilt and shame come over me. Tears came to my eyes. However, I felt fine because I felt I had solved some very important part of my life. Subject Ryan said, I enjoyed the mushroom on the one hand. But on the other hand, it frightened me. I am frightened because I seen myself for who I really was. Subject Jeremy likewise said, Mentally, my mind has become a wonderful explosion of noble desires as that of being a gentleman. I want now with all my heart to understand so many, many different things. I have a compelling desire to be fair I have come to loathe myself when the thought to take advantage of someone is aroused. One of the best pieces of advice in psychedelic subculture is to accept the psychedelic trip, relinquish control, and trust. No matter how terrible the images or feelings of a difficult trip may be. If you go with the flow, accepting the hard things about our trips with the good things, you usually soon find and experience catharsis and the overwhelming euphoria of a breakthrough. So too, when we finally meet God face to face, we do not need to hide. We need to be seen by God and see God, showing us the next steps on our transformation into divinity. That is the profound change that we see in a number of these subjects. They experience wonder and utmost beauty that sparks their curiosity. They compare themselves to this and the goodness and beauty they see and see parts of themselves that do not match up. And then they commit themselves to try to be more like that wonderful, beautiful goodness. This profound change I hear similarly to the passage of 2 Corinthians 5.17. Wherefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. It also reminds me of a quote by St. Theodorus the Great Ascetic, who asks, What is deification? Total and conscious striving for primal goodness, and for insensive power, their energetic and effective impulsion towards the object of aspiration, persistent, relentless, 
unarrested by any practical difficulties, pressing forward impetuously and undeviatingly. As a final thought for this four-part series on death, theology, and psychedelics, think back to the first episode. In the first episode, we talked about how psychedelics could induce experiences that resemble near-death experiences. They could make death a little less scary, which could help us prepare for our inevitable demise. I also said that preparation for death has to be linked to decisions we make during our life, experiencing little deaths of self-sacrifice, kindness, and unselfishness every day. I think this is linked very closely to deification. The process of theosis, of becoming divine by the grace and beauty of God, can and should start right here, right now, not when we die. Thinking back on the statements of the Concord prisoners who took psilocybin under the guidance of Timothy Leary, they were not just made aware of their misdoings and sins. Their encounters with the wonderful beauty of the psychedelic realm showed them a new possibility once they left prison walls, the sort of life that was really possible for them. For many people who have not had a spiritual or religious upbringing or are not aware of their divine nature, perhaps psychedelics can be one impetus to begin the journey of theosis. I particularly think as well of my friend's psychedelic story from the last episode, who even if they are no longer religious in some sense, they chose to change their lives and become vegetarian after a psychedelic trip because they could no longer imagine eating the flesh of a dead animal. And for those of us who already know our divine nature, who have seen the path that God calls every living person and dead to follow, for those of us who have decided to explore the wondrous beauty and virtue of God, who know that we have not matched up to God's goodness, who have repented and turned to say, see me, God, and make me more like you, who look forward to unity with God and God's nature as the ultimate end destination for everything and everyone who has is, or will ever exist. For those of us who have already chosen that path, I think psychedelics can be one way that we can continue the process of theosis, because it continues that same pattern. We know that psychedelics can be healthy and can help us with greater personal openness, overall life satisfaction, ability to overcome addiction, greater peace of mind, and more. It can heal, when properly used, minds, bodies, and relationships from trauma, both trauma that has been done to us and trauma that we have committed to others whether we wanted to or not. Purgative, difficult trips, much like those of the Concord prisoners, can drive us to change, can drive us to be more and see fully who we can be. And just like Andrew, who confidently saw who he could become and then became that, so too maybe we can have the confident perseverance to live up to our values and our beliefs, to be closest to, quote, 
that primal goodness of God. So indeed, when we die, perhaps we'll find that the process of dying isn't that unfamiliar to us after taking psychedelic trips. Perhaps the fires of God's loving purgation won't seem so foreign to us, nor will the rest of the steps in our beautiful eternal path of theosis, of deification, of union with God along with every being that has ever existed. When we begin the process of becoming more like God here on earth, with or without drugs, living more lovingly and virtuously, we may find that what lies on the other side is not entirely different from what we've been doing here on earth the whole time. Our eternal existence will not be divided by life and death anymore, but by beginning the process of eternal unity with God while we are still alive, which only happens to be completed after we are passing away. Or, as Orthodox monks who have committed themselves to monasticism as part of their process of theosis might say, if you die before you die, then when you die, you never really die. After all, as Paul says, for now we are just seeing through a glass darkly. But still, we are blessed with the ability to make out the form and shape of what is to come. And it looks amazing. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Psychedelic Theology Podcast. I hope that you enjoyed it. Right now, I am paying for all the psychedelic theology out of my own pocket, and I have no plans to stop, but it would mean a lot to me if I could break even or even have a little extra spending money to pay for books and research material. To that end, please consider supporting me on Patreon, share this podcast with whoever you want, and follow me on social media. Looking forward into the future of this podcast, I do have quite a few ideas of what I'd like to talk about and what we can explore together, but I am also very open to ideas. If you choose one of the higher parts of my Patreon as a Patreon subscriber, you get to choose an episode of the Psychedelic Theology Podcast and what its topic will be. But even if you don't, I'm always open to suggestions on what you'd like to hear about, so feel free to contact me through social media, through my email, or otherwise. Thank you so much for listening and giving me your time. I know that this world is fast and this world is busy, and it means a lot that you would be able to give your time to listen. So until next time, remember, magic is real, God is real, enchantment is real, mystery is real, beauty is real. There is more to this world than grinding, soulless machines, and resources to fuel them. God bless.